Last week, we started a brand new series in which we're looking at the excuses that people give. As a pastor, I said last week, people always feel like they have to explain to me why they don't go to church or why they don't believe in God. And I have heard, it feels like every excuse under the sun. And as I said before, I'm a very analytical person. When I, when I hear new information, when somebody tells me a reason why I shouldn't believe, well, then I honestly, I take it to heart. And I start looking into it to, to better understand, to, to analyze the, all the data, to figure out if maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this whole God thing is just, just made up and I've wasted my life. But as I think through them, as I look at all these excuses and I follow them to their natural conclusions, what I've found is that rather than pointing away from God, they end up pointing right back to him in one way or another. Maybe it's my theological bias. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor and, and that's the reason why it always comes right back. But I wanted to share with you guys my thought process and, and how these excuses point right back to God. Now, I understand every year I do a sermon series like this, uh, a, an apologetic series that, that helps explain God or, or look at God in a different way or, or, or teach us how to, to dig deeper into God's Word and whatever it may be. And I get it. This is not everybody's cup of tea. Some of you guys have absolutely no interest in this stuff whatsoever. And that's okay. Because some people, they, some people experience God and they, they come to church and they sing the songs and, and their heart is filled and they know that God is real. But for some people, some people, that's not there. For some people, it, it takes a little more. God's wired us differently, whatever it may be. And, and we, we seek God with our heads rather than our hearts. And so that's the whole reason that we're doing this. Last week, we talked about morality. And we, we looked at the claim that God is a moral monster and, and how, how when, we, when we actually dig into morality, we need that objective moral standard in order to say that anything is right or to say that anything is wrong. Now, I got a few comments last week that in the midst of, of my enthusiasm about the topic, I kind of lost some of you. I kept going and you guys stayed back here and... And, and you didn't follow me to the end. And, and I've taken that criticism to heart, and I'm going to try and fix that this week. I'm going to try and do a much better job of, of connecting the dots, keeping it a little more simple, um, and, and carrying you along the way. Because this week we're looking not at morality, but at science. Now, some of you, probably the same people who don't like apologetics, hated science class. It was like... It was right up there with math. You, you did not like that class in, in high school or, or college, and, and you really have no interest in science at all. But science is a real thing in our society and in our lives, and there are many who make the claim that science explains away the need for God. There are many things that we, that we understood, many things that we thought we understood, that today we understand differently, and there are some who will say that, that science explains everything, and therefore we do not have a need for God. And it's true, science has grown leaps and bounds 
in the last few centuries. It, there was a time when, when we really didn't understand. There are so many things we still don't understand. But there, were, there was a time when, when scientists, when people in general, whenever they didn't understand something, they just kind of plugged God in there. The sun rises in the morning and sets in the, in the evening. That must be God. God is the one who is doing it. I don't understand what is happening here. Therefore, it must be God. This is called the, the God of the gaps argument. Whatever I don't understand, well, obviously, it must be God. That's the only logical explanation. But this is a logical fallacy. This is a, a, this is a way of kind of passing the buck. Uh, it's kind of the, the lazy way of exploring this creation that, that we live in. And many Christians just fall back on that. Whatever I don't understand, well, then it's God. But the truth is we don't have to fall back on that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus is the truth, then whenever we seek after truth and wherever we may find it, when we seek after truth, what we will find is Jesus. But many times we don't take the time. We don't take the time to discover truth. We don't put forth the effort to discover truth. And this has led us to some really strange theories and, and hypotheses throughout history. I was reading this past week about uh, a scientist, I don't know what you technically call him, called, uh, named John Baptiste Van Helmont. And see, he had this, this idea that you could turn wheat into rats, or mice, I think, technically. And, and he, he laid it all out and he explained it in his journal, where he said, if you take a soiled shirt and place it in the opening of a vessel containing grains of wheat, the reaction between the leavened shirt with the fumes from the wheat will, after approximately 21 days, transform the wheat into mice. And I mean, it kind of makes sense if you really twist your brain to think about it. You, you put some dirty stuff and some, and some food out there, and lo and behold, a little while later, you have rats. We would consider that a, a crazy hypothesis, crazy for anyone to even think about today. Today, we, we have a better understanding of the scientific method, and that scientific method has removed many outlandish claims from academia and, and just culture in general. Naturalist Franco Redi, or Francesco Reddy, sorry, he, he had this idea, just like the rats, there was this prevalent idea that maggots came from meat. You leave meat out long enough and you're going to get maggots. Therefore, the maggots come from the meat. And this is what all of his colleagues were claiming, that that was where you get maggots. But Reddy believed that the maggots didn't come from the meat, but instead came from flies. And so he, he used the scientific method to test that very hypothesis. What he did was he put some, some meat in a container with no lid on it. And then he took another piece of meat, a similar piece of meat, and he stuck it in another container and put the lid on top of it. And then he waited a set period of time, and lo and behold, the meat that had no lid ended up with maggots on it. But the meat that was covered did not have maggots on it. And so he concluded that, well, the the 
maggots are coming from the flies and not the meat. But his friend said, wait a minute. You just kept the air from getting to the meat. That's where, that's part of the process that brings about the maggots. And so he conducted another experiment. He did the exact same thing, had the open container, he had the closed container, but he added another one where he put some gauze over the top of the container of meat so that the air could all get in, but the flies could not. And lo and behold, the same thing happened with those other two containers. But the one with the gauze on it also did not have maggots on the meat, but on the gauze, there were a whole bunch of maggots trying to get to the meat. Now, this is what we do with the, the scientific method. Science considers the known laws. When a scientist has an idea, when, when anybody, and anybody has an idea about how this world works, they consider the, the known laws and they create a hypothesis to explain an event that they see in the natural world. And then with that hypothesis, they begin to run experiments. They test it. They try to remove as many variables as possible so that they can just isolate that one thing that they're testing. And they perform the experiment and determine if their hypothesis was true or false. I'm not telling you guys anything new here. This is all stuff that you learned in science class or you should have learned in science class. This method has led to great advancements in both science and medicine and technology for that matter. This is what we use, this, this method, if you can't already tell, I love science. I, I like being able to, to conduct experiments. I like being able to, to reason through complex problems and, and reason, you know, if the laws of nature say this, then I can theorize that, that this is how this is going to play out. It's almost like predicting the future, and it's really exciting to me. I love explaining to my kids how, how science works in this world in which we live, how the water cycle works, or how, how gravity works, or even like how mechanical marvels, like the, the engine and, and stuff like that. I love explaining to them the science behind why these things work. But in that excitement, we have to understand that science has its limits. We have to understand these limits if we're going to do science properly. The claim is that science explains everything. And this is factually inaccurate. Science explains a great many things, but science has its limits. Science, by definition, science explains natural causes. It explains the natural world and only the natural world. If you can see it, if you can taste it, if you can touch, hear, smell, if you can measure something in any way, then the scientific method is a terrific way to explore and to explain those things. But if it leaves the physical realm, then science is completely useless. Because there are some things that science can't measure. Science can't measure love. Now, we're not saying that love doesn't exist. We all know that love exists, but science can't measure it. Science can't measure beauty. Science can't measure morality. It can't measure them. You can't take morality into the lab and, and test it. You can't find a, a, 
a chemical composition of love. Science is limited to the physical, natural world. But another limitation of science is human bias. Apologist Frank Turek is famous for saying, science doesn't say anything. Scientists do. Science gives us data. Science gives us information about the natural world. It then takes the mind of a scientist or a person in general to interpret and to understand this data. One person may look at a, a series of proteins uh, in the DNA of this species versus that species, and they may conclude that this means that they have common ancestry. Another person may look at that same information, the, those same strands of protein, and, and conclude that, no, this means that they have a common creator. The scientific data has not changed. It's the same thing. It's only our interpretation of that data that changes. And so this, this human element is an, escape, an inescapable part of science. Human bias in science is inevitable. We're all going to bring our preconceived ideas to the table whenever we're trying to figure anything out. J. Warner Wallace explains, says the question is not whether or not we have ideas, opinions, or pre-existing points of view. The question is, whether or not we will allow these, these uh, perspectives to prevent us from examining the evidence objectively. Objectivity, being able to separate ourselves from what we think is going to happen. We need to have a mind that can separate our presuppositions from the scientific data, that can interpret that data objectively rather than reading into it what we want the science to say what we expect to find. Now, our, our excuse that we're looking at today is that science explains everything. This can't possibly be true. If science explains everything, then science itself would be impossible. Let me explain. Let's look at what science is. The Oxford Dictionary defines science as the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. That's a big mouthful. In layman's terms, science is an intelligent mind observing and studying the natural world. Science explains everything would mean that everything exists within that natural world. Because this is the limited scope of science. We've already discussed there are many things outside of that physical, natural world, and your ability to think and to reason is one of those things. Science is a pursuit of causes. We look at the world, and we want to know why this happens. Think of... Think of a, a Rube Goldberg machine. Now, you've, you've seen these before. Somebody sets something in motion, and that something hits something else or, or bumps into something else, and it causes something else to happen, and that causes a, a chain reaction and something else and something else and something else, and all those things add up, and in the end, you have some big, spectacular show of things 
that was the result of something way back when. Science is looking for the cause. Science is looking for why that happened. That domino fell over. Why did that domino fall over? Well, because it was hit by this ball. Okay, why was it hit by that ball? Because that ball fell. Okay, why did it fall? Well, it had gravity pulling it down and it had something else pushing it off of a ledge. And I know some of you guys are really, really into this video. <laughs> Uh, it, that's okay, you, you can watch this video. I knew it was gonna be a distraction. It's a really fascinating video. I love these, these machines. Um, but, but science is that pursuit of a natural cause. The sequence of events that this led to this, that led to this, that led to this, and the, the, the question in science is what caused it? The claim that science explains everything seems to be a viable alternative. It seems to be this explanation for, for removing God from the equation, for removing anything supernatural outside of the, the natural physical world from the equation. And there are some scientists who, who do exactly that due to their, their biases. Maybe they, I, I don't know their reasons, but they, they explicitly make this claim that nothing exists outside of the physical, natural world. But as we've said before, there are other things. There are things that exist outside of that world. Such a claim that science explains everything would make science impossible. Because science requires a mind to observe and to interpret the scientific data. Science doesn't say anything. Scientists do. Thinking is required. If we look at the Oxford definition, it requires a mind to look at and to interpret the data. You have to be able to think in order to do science. Without the ability to think, then nothing can ever be known. Science, science can explain how our brain functions. Science can explain the process of, of when we begin to think, then, then all the synapses start to fire and, and the neurons go flying through our brains. And, and science can explain how that all works. And we can witness all of that going on. But what's the cause? What caused your brain to think? Now, obviously, I would say, well, I'm the cause. I caused my brain to think. I, I, began, I decided to think about this, or I decided to, to process that information, or pull up that memory. I decided to do that. I am the cause. Just like a computer. I sit down at the keyboard, and I type in my search results and, and, or my search query into Google and, and the computer does its thing and it pulls up all those web pages and, and it processes all these memories or, or whatever it is and it, and it brings it to me because I requested it. I put in the input and the processor executes the commands, but if science explains everything, then you're not at the keyboard. You're consciousness, your awareness is only a result of that process of thinking. You are the result of the process, therefore you cannot be the cause. 
You are nothing more than your brain. You're nothing more than your body. No spirit, no mind. You can't execute those commands because you are the result of those commands. The question then is who gives the commands? What is giving those commands? If science explains everything, then every thought that you have is the result of some other natural cause. It's the result of some force acting upon you, like the domino falling over. It's the result of some cause, some natural cause that came before. You do not think, therefore, you only react. When you have a thought, when a, a feeling wells up within you, you didn't make that choice. If science explains everything, you didn't have a choice. You are only reacting. Something happened. Your, your brain responded to the forces around you just like that domino. There is no thinking. There is no reasoning. You are the result, not the cause. You are a machine made out of flesh and bone. You are a, a moist robot. If there's nothing more to this world than science, then you are just a molecular machine. You have no choice. You have no free will. You are only reacting to that which came before. Therefore, you are not capable of doing good. You are not capable of doing evil. You only react. If a tree falls on your car, the wind blows, we have a terrible storm, and a tree falls over and it smashes your car. Yes, you love that car. It was a beautiful car. And I don't know, well, there's insurance and all that stuff, but we're going to forget about that. That tree smashed your car. That tree is not at fault. The tree didn't do something evil. It just reacted to the physical forces acting upon it. It didn't choose to fall over. And if all there are are natural causes, then we don't choose to do anything. If I end up hitting the person next to me, I didn't choose to do that because I have no free will. I can't choose to do anything. It, I was just reacting to chemicals in my brain. The, the process in that, in that Rube Goldberg machine may be really, really long, but after a series of processes, my brain got flooded with this chemical that gave me this urge that I had to follow, and I hit the person next to me, but it wasn't my choice. I didn't choose to do it because I'm incapable of making Choices. If you have no free will, you can't do right, you can't do wrong. You can't choose to love. You can't feel any emotions. It's just a chemical reaction in your brain that you are responding to. All you can do is react. You can't reason and you can't think. And those are the basic requirements of science. If random forces tell us anything in the world, we have no reason to believe them. If random forces in this world tell us that, that the earth is round or flat or octagonal, why should we believe what those random forces are telling us? Those random forces could have randomized some other way and told us something completely different. Why should we believe random forces in nature? But that's exactly what we are. If science explains everything, then we are just random forces in nature, dancing to our DNA, following 
the programming that has been passed down from generations and generations. Science requires a mind. Science requires a mind that can ascertain truths. Science requires that we have the ability to, to think about and, and observe and to, to test this natural world. It requires that we interpret that data. But science cannot account for a mind. Because a mind is not of the physical world. If science explains everything, then we are only a brain. Chemicals and, and neurons floating around everywhere, just re reacting to whatever input is given to us. If science explains everything, then we are just moist robots. And that makes science undoable because we can't think, we can't reason, we can't observe. We just follow the forces that are around us. Thought and reason have to come from a mind. They, and that exists outside of the physical world. Therefore, it is not subject to science. If we're going to do science, then we have to acknowledge the metaphysical world, the, the world of, of thought and reason and of love and all things that are beyond this natural world, aka supernatural. Because these things don't come from the natural world. You have been given a mind. You have been given the ability to think, the ability to reason, the ability to, to feel and to love. And these things don't come from natural physical causes. Your immaterial mind that controls your brain and your body has to come from a source that is equally as immaterial. And as we look for that reason, we're again pointed right back to that immaterial world, that supernatural world that exists outside science, and an attempt to excuse, to, to disprove God, once again, points us right back to our need for Him. You are more than just your body. You are more than just molecules bouncing around. You are a person. You are a mind that is thinking and feeling and living. As we look to science, science can't explain all that. And so once again, our excuses for God, for no, for against God, point us right back to Him. Lord Jesus, I thank You for our minds. I thank You for the ability to, to think and to reason, to, to go down these rabbit holes, to, to explore this world that you've given us, to explore ourselves, to look at our minds, to look at our bodies, to, to understand the relationship between the two, and to, to think and to reason through all of that. God, that ability comes only from you. And so, God, I pray that, that we would use that, that we wouldn't just say, well, God did it and that's that. But God, that we would follow, that we'd follow the rational sequences that you've laid out for us. That we would trust that when we seek after truth, we will come firmly to the feet of Jesus, 
who is the way, the truth, and the life. Go with us this week, God. Be in our conversations. God, as we think, as we reason, as we live our lives, God, may you be at the forefront of our minds. And may you receive all the glory and honor and praise. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you, and we'll see you next week.